Hello, everybody. This is Saman Askari. Welcome to the Hyphenated American Podcast. Today, I'm talking to someone who needs no introduction, Mr. Maz Jabrani. Especially if you're Iranian-American, you very likely know who he is. In case you're less familiar with his work, here's a brief bio. He's an Iranian-American comedian and actor. As part of the Axis of Evil comedy group, Maz appeared on a Comedy Central special and received national and international acclaim. He's appeared in such films as The Interpreter and Friday After Next. He was a regular character on the CBS sitcom Superior Donuts and has appeared in other TV shows such as The West Wing and Grey's Anatomy. He's even made and starred in his own movie called Jimmy Westwood, American Hero. <laughs> and he has his own Netflix stand-up special called Immigrant. Maz is very active in the Iranian-American community and through his comedy has tried to combat negative stereotypes about Iranians and Middle Easterners in general. All right, let's get started. I present to you Mr. Maz Jobrani. All right, I'm here with Maz Jobrani. Uh, Maz John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you're arguably the most well-known Iranian-American person. I don't think there's an Iranian-American person who doesn't know who you are. Uh, <laughs> what's also remarkable is that you achieved this status through one of the most un-Iranian professions, which is stand-up comedy. Um, I don't think stand-up comedy even exists in Iran. I'm not sure. Uh, but anyway, um, you also act and make movies as well. So uh, how did this all happen? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, actually, stand-up comedy, I think they're doing it now in Iran. I don't know much about it, but I've had people send me um, information that they're doing it now, which is nice to see. Um, I think stand-up comedy, like you say, stand-up comedy is actually a very uh, Western art form where it's not just joke-telling. It's going up on stage and talking about your life. Um, we have a rich culture of joke-telling in our, in our culture of Iranians. But, yeah, I started um, – when I was, uh, I grew up in Northern California, so when I was around uh, maybe 10 years old or so, I saw Eddie Murphy, uh, and I fell in love with what he was doing, and I wanted to be like him, and then my Iranian parents um, were um, very terrified by that thought, <laughs> they said, no, you're going to be a lawyer or a doctor or a businessman or something like that, so even though I started doing plays at the age of 12 in school, um, I kept wanting to do stand-up and I kept chickening out until my early 20s when I tried a little bit of stand-up and I still was encouraged by my parents to continue mm -hmm. on a more reputable path so I actually got into a PhD program for political science and then I dropped out of that to finally pursue uh, acting and comedy professionally and that was uh, at the age of 26, so 20 years ago, I decided, you know what, you live once, you can't live for your parents, you got to do what you want to do, so that's what I did. Yeah, yeah, it's funny how a lot of immigrant parents think that the only ways their kids can succeed is through these very traditional uh, professions, such as being a doctor. I think it's just, and it's just a, a certain level of security that comes with it. I think yeah. parents want what's best for you, so they don't want you to go after something that might be very risky. Um, and to them, lawyer, doctor, all that stuff, not only is it respectable in the community, but you'll have a good income. You can, you know, they won't have to worry about you. So I think that's where they're coming from. I don't think they're coming from a place of 
uh, malicious intent. Yeah, yeah, of course. But America being the land of opportunity, you can achieve that, um, you know, a very nice living from many different ways, right? Absolutely. Many ways. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, you talk about how you were in the PhD program and then at some point, you know, something happened when you're like, you know, I'm going to go pursue my dreams and do comedy and acting. Was it, was there a um, trigger moment or something that happened that kind of the light bulb went on and you were like, you know what, I'm going to go follow my dreams? It was a series of moments. When I was in high school, we had a really good acting program and the acting teacher there would tell me, she said, you know, you really have um, a, a talent, a knack for this acting thing. And then, uh, but I still, because of my parents, ended up studying studying political science in 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 uh school in the hopes of uh like i said going and becoming a uh, a lawyer then uh in college then in college i um also had a uh i took one acting class and that acting teacher said hey you really got what it takes to do this okay so and again though i just wasn't ready to do it um and then i was doing plays and all that stuff and what happened was a couple of things happened one was I'd seen Roberto Benini, who was the guy from Life is Beautiful, the Italian comedian actor. I'd seen him when I was in Italy. I studied, I studied a year abroad in Italy, so I discovered him there in his movies, and I really liked what he did. And it was around the time he won those awards for Life is Beautiful, and he was so excited about what he was doing. I really was like, wow, I wish I could be that excited about what I do every day. Yeah. Um, the other thing was there was a gentleman by the name of Joe Ryan, who was this older gentleman who worked in this advertising agency that I was working at as my day job. And he was very nice, very complimentary. He saw a play I was doing and he said, Hey, you've got good comedic timing. Have you thought about doing this? Yeah. And I said, you know, I have, and this and that, and I'm waiting. I said, I'm going to wait till I'm 30 years old. So I have enough money so I can go audition without having to worry about working. And then he goes, listen, I'm in my sixties. And he goes, when I was in my twenties, there was a lot of things I wanted to do, and I never got around to doing them. So he goes, if you really want to do it, then do it. And that was kind of uh, the the final straw in making me go, you know what? I'm going to go for it. So at that point, I enrolled in some improv acting classes, some stand-up classes, and then went from there. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because people don't realize how much hard work and failure it actually takes to succeed in something like stand-up comedy, right? You've written about you know, the early years and everything that you had to do, all the various auditions and open mics that you had to attend. So it's not like, you know, you decide to pursue your dream and you go do it and you become successful. It's actually really hard work. Well, that's the case with anything because if you, whatever you want to do, if you want to be a doctor, you got to go do 10 years of residency. If you want to be a businessman, if you want to start a computer company, if you want to start a, yeah. you know, even if you want to, whatever you want to do, it all seems glamorous from the outside because you see people that are successful and you go, oh, great, I'll, I'll just go do that and become a, a multi-millionaire myself. And you realize that, no, it takes a lot of effort and time. So that's why I, my advice to everybody, I go, look, whatever you do, make sure you love it because you're going to be, like you said, doing – there's going to be a lot of aspects of it that are not as glamorous as you think that it is. Yeah, that's true. All right. So um, one of the central themes of your career has been about you uh, avoiding being typecast as a terrorist. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and you've talked about this and written about this extensively. 
But as a young up and coming actor and comedian, comedian, you almost had to take any role that was offered to you. And uh, you t uh, you've written about the uh, the movie with Chuck Norris and how um, it felt really icky afterwards, you know, what you had to do. Uh, and then even when you got your big break with Mitzi Shore and becoming a regular at the comedy store. And for those of you who don't know, Mitzi Shore is, you know, the, the queen of comedy. She recently actually passed away. She owned the comedy store in West Hollywood. And a lot of big names and comedians came through um, her, uh, actually came up through her. And even when she gave you your big break, she wanted you to uh, wear, quote unquote, the outfit. Uh, can yeah. you take us through that and and um yeah listen you never ha you don't have to take certain any part that you don't want to take it's just that when you're first starting out you're right you you feel like you should take all the parts that come your way so there was a couple of parts where it's terrorist parts and uh i think when they find out that you're iranian or, or middle eastern you get sent out on a lot of these parts so i early on did that chuck norris movie of the week and i and i did not like playing the terrorists. I didn't like putting on the turban. So I told my agents no more. And so from there on, um, there was only one more that came along, which was on the TV show 24. And they said, it's a terrorist. And I said, no. And then they said, well, you know, he changes his mind halfway through the mission. And I thought, oh, that's <laughs> interesting. It's, it's the ambivalent terrorist. Let's do it. So I did that. And then when Mitzi made me a regular at the comedy store, what happens is when you're made a regular, you audition in front of her. And, um, and then, uh, when you're a regular, then you get to go to the club and perform three, four, five times a week and really grow, and it's just the place to be. So when she made me a regular, she said, have you thought about wearing the outfit? And I said, what outfit? And she said, you know, the hat and the gown. She meant a turban and, the, and you know, dishtasha. And I really didn't want to do it. So what, what I did was I kind of um, thought about it for a while and came up with an excuse. I said, listen, you know, there's if word gets out that there's an Iranian comedian, comedian dressing up with a turban, they might think he's making fun of the mullahs and then someone may come here and do damage to the club because they're upset about it. Well, there was an Iranian yeah. comedian who was, you know, Iranian who did it in Persian, who made fun right. of the regime a lot. And I guess he was at a rally here for some event in Westwood. This is years ago. And some pro regime supporters showed up and threw a rock and blinded him. Oh my God. So that was real. So I took that story and I used it as an excuse to get out of wearing the turban. Um, sorry, just putting a pillow on my lap. And um, and yeah, so that was a good. I got out of the turban, thank God. So uh, that would have been the end of my career if I was doing stand up in a turban. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. Imagine that. So yeah. are, are are the tides turning now? Are people of Iranian descent or Middle Eastern descent getting better roles? Um, is the same thing happening that happened to African Americans for for um, for the same thing? So, for example, African Americans were always typecast as sort of the negative characters in the '80s or '70s, and now they're getting more positive roles. Is the same thing happening? No, no, I with yeah, yeah, I think that I think that there there is change in the roles that are out there, and I think the biggest part of that comes from having more. You know, what happens is when an, when um when an immigrant culture moves to America, they first, the parents set up shop and do whatever they can to make money so that their kids of the next generation can go to school and be lawyers and doctors and all that stuff. 
Um, and then after that, their kids realize, oh, I can be a comedian or an acrobat or whatever, or a teacher or do something else. And so I kind of skipped that. I came right into going to the actor thing. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't wait that next generation to do it. But now we're having a new generation of a lot of young Iranians and Middle Easterners and other people who are writing their own stories. Ultimately, if you're able to write your own story, then you will write stories that are a lot more um, layered and and are not stereotypical. And, and you know, if, if you wait for other people to tell your story, the only parts they're going to write for Middle Easterners are what they see mm. on the news. And so, yeah, I would definitely say there's a lot of more people, whether it's like your Aziz Ansari with Master of None or Mindy Kaling or Hassan Minaj or... Uh, Kumail Nanjani with his movie The Big Sick. There's a lot of people that are doing things where you go, hey, this is just um, a family from this background living their lives. Yeah, yeah. Kind of taking control of, of the story. Yeah. Nice. So, um, as you know, Iranians are, are super proud people. And yeah. we, we like to say we are uh, Persian and we differentiate ourselves from other people in the in the Middle East, for example. Mm-hmm. Do you get a lot of crap from Iranians when you say you're Middle Eastern or you kind of, you know, uh, don't specify that you're Iranian? Because you're highly popular in the Middle East in various countries, right? Yeah, you know, there there's always a handful of Iranians who are critical of anything that you do. Um, and I really don't, you know, I, I'm not a jukebox. I don't take requests. I mean, I am I'm a 46-year-old man who's you know I'm, I'm i'm grown up now so i don't need to necessarily answer to those people and sure. a lot of people don't know the history of what you know especially with social media they see a tweet or they see a clip or whatever and then they criticize you fully because of that one statement or, or clip as opposed to going and looking at your history the fact is that when i first started doing stand-up comedy there was no one else going out in america saying i'm from iran i mean people were people would hide that so, you know, in, in many ways, from out the gate, I was saying I'm Iranian, and I continue to say I'm Iranian. Sometimes I say I'm Middle Eastern. Quite often now I say I'm an immigrant. And the reason I do that is because I realized that as Iranians, we have a lot more in common with a lot of other immigrants than you would think. And so a lot of the stories I tell are actually stories that that other immigrants relate to, whether they're Middle Eastern or Mexican or, or Russian or whatever. So yeah. you know, my job is to is to tell my stories and and color the world the way I see it. So I tell people, I go, look, if you really got a problem with it, then you should go do your own comedy or start a blog and, and you can do it your way. Right, right, right. So what are those some of those commonalities that people laugh at, you know, across well, different very, cultures? I'll give you the, the one time that, that it really made me realize how common – we are as immigrants, how common our, our, our experiences are as immigrants. There was a, um, I used to do a bit about how my grandmother used to keep all of her cash in her bra. And I said <laughs> that we used to think she was a D cup until one day we went and we went to buy a house and she pulled the down payment out of her bra and we realized she's an A cup. Yeah. And then we looked closer and we realized she was grandpa. Um, <laughs> well, I was doing that joke at the Laugh Factory in Los Angeles one time and there was these two Mexican girls in the audience that were falling out of their seats laughing. Everybody else was laughing, but these girls were like dying of laughter. Yeah, I was, yeah. Oh my God, Mexican grandmothers do this too. Yeah. You know, put their money in their bra, they cash in their bra. And I realized we have a lot more in common. So whenever you're doing any parent material or kid material or wife material or whatever, 
I feel that I quite often at my shows, my shows have very diverse crowds now. So they'll come up to me after the show, whether it's Indians or whoever, and they'll go, hey, that's us too. You're talking about us. And I go, I know. We all have a lot in common. Yeah, right. The universal grandma bra stuffing. That's, that's yeah, funny. Exactly. <laughs> cool. So um, a lot of comedians recently have talked about how comedy has become really politically correct and that they feel like they have to censor themselves when they do shows or, um, you know, and for example, 10, 20 years ago, certain things or certain jokes would, would work on, on TV and on various comedy specials that, you know, if you did the same thing or if you made the same joke today, people would fly off the handle. Has that affected your your comedy in any way? And um, not that much. I never, you know. I think some of that some of that stuff is just evolution. You know, it used to be like if you watch even Eddie Murphy's Delirious, he makes jokes about you know gays and stuff that that might not be accepted in today's culture, or women that might not be accepted in today's culture. And that's just us evolving, um, and hopefully understanding that some of those jokes weren't as they could be hurtful to other people in a uh, you know, if done, if done in poor taste. So there's that, there's the evolution. And then there's the thing of that, you know, because of cameras and social media and stuff, you used to be able to work out material in a comedy club. And, you know, if it was something that, that was somewhat edgy, 20 people would see it. Now they put it online and then they accuse you of saying whatever you said. And then you got to go back and you got to, you've got to uh, eradicate that. So I personally don't, you know, there's, I, I have not had that experience where it got to the point where I felt like, oh my God, I got to watch it. I'm going to, you know, there have been jokes I've done that I felt my audience just either didn't get or they were too racy for my audience. And then, and then it's a matter of trying it four or five times and seeing, oh wow, it just never gets the laugh I thought it would get. And then you got a choice. You either rework it or you, or you just get rid of it for the time being. Right, right. There seems to be an outrage culture as well. The whole social media thing, people waiting to, you know, um, get offended. And yeah, rightfully so sometimes. But it goes back to what I said. People take your stuff out of context and then just they go, oh, this guy is racist or this guy is sexist or this guy is whatever. So they might not have seen the full joke. They might not have seen your full set. They might not know what organizations you you. you know, uh, what charities you work with, what, how you've stood on these subjects in the past. They're not going to take their time to go research it. They're just going to start name calling you. And so, you know, you have a choice. You either engage. I mean, obviously, if it's something that you've said or done that gets so much outrage that per- perhaps you did say or do the wrong thing, then it's your choice whether you want to go and apologize about it or, um, or if it's something that is just being taken out of context, then, you, you know, you move on. Right, right. Nice. Cool. So uh, being Iranian is, is very central to um, what you all your material, essentially, a lot of your material. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you've talked about growing up in Marin County and how you always wanted to fit in. And you were kind of the Iranian kid and you hung out with Jake, Brett and Steve and you tried right. to play baseball and eat apple pie while you play baseball just to fit mm-hmm. in. Um yeah, and uh, I know exactly where Marin County is. I, I live in San Jose. Were there even Iranians 
back then when you were growing up in Marin? There were a handful of Iran. The reason we ended up in Marin County was because my dad's friends uh, who were Iranian were there. And so we went to visit them for a little bit. Then we ended up renting a house near them. And then we uh, we stayed. You know, we were coming from Iran and we were looking for excuse me, we were looking for a place to land. So we first were in New York for a little bit. It was the it was the winter of 78 going into 79. And it was super cold. And we said, New York isn't for us. And we ended up in Reno for a little bit where we had my dad had some friends. And then while we were in Reno, his friends from Marin came to visit. And then those guys said, why don't you come visit us? And it was beautiful. I mean, it's idyllic where I grew up. Marin County. Um, So, yeah, there was a handful of Iranians and um, we all kind of knew each other because our parents were all friends. So we would go to their houses and then become friends. Um, But there weren't that many. It was, you know, I grew up in Marin where if you ran into an Iranian, it was an event. You would say, hi, oh, my God, who's your dad? Wow. You know, um, you know, I hope I see you again, that kind of stuff. And then moved down to L.A. after college where there's 10 Iranians on every block. So you would see an Iranian and be like, hey, and they'd be like, what? You know, they didn't want to, they weren't as excited about it because they were <laughs> the time. Westwood, yeah. you know. Yeah, everybody's Iranian. Um, so so did you use, is that where your sense of humor came from? Did you use your sense of humor growing up to, as part of fitting in? That's very possible. You know, I've never gone super deep in in figuring out when it started but it's possible that when i first because you know we come from iran we come to america you don't know anybody you're learning the language i mean i, I learn english in, in in iran but now it's every day and you just want to blend in you want to be with the cool kids right so i'm pretty sure that like sports helped me and i'm pretty sure the sense of humor helped me also i used to watch hours and hours of uh you know bugs bunny and all those cartoons and there's a sense of humor in those And then I became a big fan of comedy. I always tell people the reason I became a comedian was because I was a fan of comedy. All my friends were funny people. um, And there's a lot of people that I grew up with that were much funnier than I was. I just didn't pursue it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So um, part of the reason I started this podcast is because I felt like I was stuck between these two identities, the Iranian identities and, and the Iranian identity and the American identity. Mm-hmm. So in America, I feel like wherever I go, even as an adult, um, let alone as a kid, I mean, I I was the Iranian kid. I had a weird name. Even as an adult, you're sort of like, oh, your name's a little bit different. You look a little bit different. Mm-hmm. As much as you're, you know, you fit in in every other way, you're still kind of the Iranian person. And then I went to yeah. Iran in 2015 mm-hmm. and... I felt like I was very far from being Iranian. I couldn't yeah. even, when I talked to people, my Farsi is good, but when I talked to people, you know, within a minute, they could tell I wasn't, uh, I didn't live in Iran. I couldn't really relate to the problems and the things that they were talking about. I felt like it was a completely different world, right? So I feel like I'm in, in this in-between state. Hello, you there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay, I thought I lost, lost you for a second. second. I lost you for a second, but I got you again. Did you hear what I said? <laughs> yeah, you just didn't feel like you were uh, Iranian either when you went back to Iran. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like we're we're stuck in in this in between land between these two identities. And I've heard you kind of touch on this this phenomenon as well. Uh, what, do you have any other? Do you have thoughts on that? I absolutely agree with you. I think we're a generation of in between. 
you know. Can you yeah. hear me? It seems like it's breaking up a lot. Yeah, it is breaking up a little bit. Yeah. Okay, I'll keep talking. If it if it really breaks up, go like that. Okay. Um, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. We're we're kind of in between cultures. We're not Iranian enough. We're not American enough. Um, I'm guessing there's other people, whether they're Latinos or right. Asians or whatever, who feel that as well. And it doesn't hit you as hard unless you end up at like a Persian Mehmuni or you end up in Iran where, like you just said, people are speaking to you in Farsi, real thick Farsi, and their culture is very different. And you're like, wow, I, you know, this isn't what I thought it was, you know. So it is, it is an interesting uh, thing that happens. And we're, we are this, this generation, this, this hyphenated generation. Yeah, yeah. And we need to start our own country. I know, right? Let's call it California. <laughs> yeah. So, Maz, how often do people come up to you and say, I'm Persian like the cat, meow? <laughs> you know, not as much as I used to just because it's been a while since I did that joke. But I still, people still come to my shows and go, oh, my God, I haven't seen you know, in years. And Persian like the cat, meow. Like that was, that became this popular <laughs> thing. It was just a joke I was doing and it turned into this whole uh thing it was kind of cool i mean it was nice it was it's it's nice to be recognized um but yeah you just never know what you're gonna say that's going to um that's going to click with people yeah yeah it's funny all right few more topics here um you've you've gone to the white house a couple of times right you <laughs> i think twice one time it was uh for some kind of uh, Persian New Year event. Mm -hmm. I think I saw that video. And then mm -hmm. another time where you were invited uh, as well by the president. Yeah, it was like a holiday party that a lot of people were at the, the, the first time. And then the second time was the Persian New Year, yeah. How was that? What was that experience like? It was amazing. The Persian New Year thing was great because under the Obama administration, there was a handful of Iranian Americans who worked in the White House. And uh, the Obama White House had agreed to do a Nowruz event um, so they did it a few years in a row. I think they wanted to reach out to different communities in America and celebrate their, <clears throat> their new years and all that stuff. So I believe they've done it with Greeks and maybe with other communities as well, but they had us there and it was really, it was an amazing experience to have all these Iranians there celebrating. Michelle Obama came to talk. I got, I got a chance to introduce Michelle Obama, which to me, I was like, it was a career highlight. It was a life highlight. I said, you know, I never would have thought when I started out 20 years ago that I'd be there introducing Michelle Obama at the White House or, it, or at the White House at all. You know, like why would a comedian be at a White House? And yet there I was. So it was really, it was definitely a highlight of my life and I was happy that my family was there and uh, yeah, that was a good one, man. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Speaking of the presidency, I understand if you don't want to get political, but do you have thoughts on... What the heck's going on right now with the oh, Trump yeah, no, we're screwed. We're screwed. I don't mind. I mean, we're screwed. The guy's, <laughs> the guy's nuts. The guy's nuts. He's narcissist. He's a narcissistic sociopath. Who, <laughs> it's true. I mean, he really. If you if you analyze him, I think that you would find that. I I'm just surprised that more people from. I think the people from his party that support him, a lot of them are either afraid of his power with his base, or they like what he's doing in the general sense of with the judges now and the. And um, and uh, deregulation and, and just basically, you know, setting us down this path where in 20, 30 years from now, if you look back at a lot of, you know, homeless problems and issues in this country, you could really trace it back to Reagan. And I think 20, 30 years from now, you can be able to trace back a lot of problems in the world 
to Trump and his administration from whether it's more, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, problems with 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 immigrants and refugees being left out to hang out there to global warming issues to uh, um, income inequality, all that stuff is going to I mean, it's already happening, but it's going to happen even more. So, you know, we're, we're really screwed by this guy. And I think that the only thing we can do is hopefully encourage people to go out and vote in, in, in the elections because it doesn't seem like there's going to be any other way. I'm still sure that there's going to be some sort of level of corruption that comes out between his administration and um, and the Russians. But the problem is then the Congress has to uh, impeach him. And given that they run the Senate and the and the House right now, it's it's not likely that that would happen. Yeah, yeah. You know what amazes me is, um, you know, how his base keeps supporting him and also it's it seems like the, his base is growing as well when you know he lies through his teeth and then he makes up names for people he's almost like a you know my 13 year old nephew can tell that you know it's like what he does is inappropriate i mean he's he acts like a child we can we can disagree about policy and all that all day long and that's fine but the fact that his this is the president of the United States. And no, he's this got is... zero decorum. He's got zero decorum. He's he's a crazy old dude. That's what it is. It's like the crazy uncle at the party who just spouts out of the mouth. And and again, uh, none of his stuff is really based in in what seems like good, um, you know, good policy. I mean, it's just the the guy is he's a disaster. And the fact that he keeps getting away with it, I think a lot of people like strong men. Um, a lot of people believe what he says. A lot of people, what he's done is it's very similar to what Nixon had done, and it's a lot of, very similar to what um, the Nazis and other totalitarian governments have done. Is what you do is you um, um, delegitimize your opponents by by doing this campaign of saying they're fake, they're fake, they're fake. So the news, all news that ever criticizes him, is fake, 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 fake. So that when something real does happen then his supporters go, oh, no, this must be fake, too. So it's just, it's, you know, I'm constantly shaking my head. Yeah, yeah. I'm afraid that when the whole Mueller, Mueller investigation, the results come out, that, mm-hmm. you know, there's not going to be a smoking gun. There's going to be a lot of different types of, uh, you know, evidence that may not be hard evidence. And then the followers yeah. are going to say, see, you know, it was a witch hunt all along, and this is all fake. And, yeah. Absolutely, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So uh, do you have any thoughts about what's going on in Iran right now? Obviously, um, Donald Trump announced that he was uh, that the U.S. was leaving the new Iran nuclear deal. There have been some protests recently. The economy is faltering. The currency you know, Iran is, kind of... is Iran is a sad situation. It's been like this for 40 years. And um, my heart goes out to the people of Iran. My heart goes out to the young people of Iran who have a lack of opportunity there's not any opportunity for them the economy is not good um there, there's not there's no freedoms uh to the women of iran all these groups that are fighting for their freedoms and for more democracy my heart goes out to them and you know there's obviously corruption inside the government um there's all obviously i i'm firmly believe there should be a separation between church and state and that when you say it's going to be an islamic republic then you're just screwed because now you got to follow by these laws. You got to cover yourself up. You got to do this. You got to do that. 
and that takes away from democracy and leads you down a totalitarian state. So we have all that situation going on. The question becomes, how does that change? How do we move forward? You know, there's a lot of groups within America who actually support Trump because they want America to attack Iran or they want America and Israel to somehow um, foment war in Iran so that a civil war breaks out in Iran um, so that they can get rid of the mullahs. The problem with that is how many innocent lives do we lose in a situation like that? You know, I think the, the best example we can look at is Iraq or maybe Vietnam or other places like that where millions of people have been killed and there's still instability there and the governments that take, took over aren't that much better and what else came out of there? So I personally was hoping always for an evolution, not a revolution, so that change mm -hmm. would come from within, that the, the mullahs would start realizing that they can't, continue to govern the way they have, that they have to start becoming more secularized, that the young people demand it, um, and hopefully that that would make that change and Iran could come into um, the world and, and be part of the world. I actually thought that the nuclear deal was a good deal because it, it was trying diplomacy after 40 years of, of, of giving, you know, when we're fighting the mullahs the way we do, when America says they're bad and they say we're bad, that anything that anyone does inside Iran that is against the government, they can point their fingers and go, look, these guys, you know, this is America's doing. Yeah. Um, but if we had followed through with the nuclear deal and lifted some of those sanctions and the economy still suffered, then they couldn't point the fingers at anybody. They would have to take full responsibility for what they are doing to this country of Iran. So... Yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking, and I don't know what the solution is, uh, but I do hope that, that whatever happens is with as, as little bloodshed as possible. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to uh, Dr. Abbas Milani about this recently, and it's it feels like there is no clear path either way, right? Because the reformists tried the Iran nuclear deal, and that didn't pan out exactly the way it was promised to pan out. And then if there's a regime change, there's no clear pathway there as well, right? And, and the, the, the regime is not going to just lay down their arms. They're too powerful. They're too spread out in the region. Yeah. So unfortunately, there's no clear path forward one way or the other. And that's, that's kind of sad. Um, yeah, yeah I really don't know what the answer is. Yeah, yeah. All right. So um, another sober note that I wanted to talk about um you've been open about this uh you've experienced some loss recently in, in the past few years you lost your brother in 2014 and sister in 2017 um as someone who's experienced loss i lost my father at the age of 11 um and uh i can i can only imagine you know what what you went through and your career being comedy and having to be out there and be upbeat and funny and do all of that. Um, how has, how has the, how has that loss uh, affected you as a person and also as, as someone who does comedy? I mean, we all, you know, when you, when you lose some, somebody close, as you know, you, you start seeing how many other people around you have lost people. You talk to people, people come to you all the time. I lost a brother. I lost a sister. I lost a father. I lost a mother. I lost a child. I mean, it's all, you know, it's all over and it's heartbreaking. And then the question becomes, how do you deal with it? This time around, after I lost my sister, who was 
possibly the closest person to me in my life. I went to a couple of um, I went to a couple of uh, um, uh, bereavement uh, classes to kind of learn how to deal with it. They helped a little bit. Um, you know, you never fully get over it. You know, it hits you when you least expect it. So whether I'm a comedian or I'm a steel worker or whatever, I got to work. So at a certain point, you know, obviously the next day you don't go on stage and start telling jokes. You go through it, you give yourself a little bit of time, and then eventually actually get back to work. I think getting back to work does help. But also I would say if anybody has suffered loss that you shouldn't rush back into work. You should give yourself time uh, to think about that person and think about what happened because – um, you know, mourning. A lot of us don't know how to do it, um, and uh, and it's 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 a tough tough path, and you, and it never gets easier. It's always there. So, I mean, it's part of life. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I completely get it. I commend you for keeping on and doing your work. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Um, any advice for people who are considering? other professions or are thinking about jumping ship from, you know, a traditional profession and pursuing their dreams. I feel like a lot of people are just stuck in professions because they feel like they, these professions pay the bills and they kind of learn to become content with things and kind of life goes on and they put off these, these dreams and these things that they've always thought about. And I would say, yeah, I would say jump. Go for it. Like, don't wait. You live once. You know, it's 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 all cliche. But if you can, I mean, obviously, if you've got a job that's giving you six figure salary and you you've got a mortgage, and you want to maybe go be a juggler and you know <laughs> at, at, a, at the pier, don't don't just go right away. You know, work your way into it. Figure out a way to do it. But the longer you wait, the harder it's going to get. So if you're young and you have a passion, I say go for it. And and if you're a parent of a of a young person then then support them. I mean, I I personally the moment I started doing this, I felt I was successful and back then I was making zero money doing it. Um and then the money came as I did, you know, continued on path with it. Um but if I didn't like doing what I'm doing, then I would have quit a long time ago. So my answer is do it. You just, you know, you're going to be you're going to be 60 or 70 and look back and go, "Man, I never pursued that thing." Yeah. And uh, you'll have regrets. Yeah, the money comes right as long as you're doing what. what... Money comes, and even if it doesn't come, at least you're doing what you do, what you love doing. You know, I'd rather I'd rather be uh, poor and love my life than be miserable and rich. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. All right, so um, last but not least, uh, what are you working on these days? Are we looking Apparently, at it? A... Yeah. yeah, I'm on tour. I'm on tour, so I'm all over the place. Uh, I'll be in Vegas, then I'll be in Montreal, then I'll be in uh, um, Arizona, San Francisco, Sacramento. So on a big tour, continuing to write new material. In the meantime, I'm pitching. I'm pitching two animation series. I'm pitching one talk show idea, and um, I'm working on uh, some uh, live, like like you know, comedy shows as well that I'm pitching. So back to back to the drawing board because I was on a TV show called Superior Donuts which was canceled recently. Yeah. So just trying to find my way back onto television. Got it. Awesome. You're awesome, Moz. Thank you. Really appreciate so, it. I appreciate you. I'm happy we were able to make it, make it work, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, all right, man. It means a lot. Yeah, Have thank a you. Great day. And thanks for being an inspiration. Um, oh, no all problem. the work that you've done. No yeah. Thanks, man. All Absolutely. Right. All right. Take, Take it easy, man. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Alright, I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, please share it with your family and friends. Subscribe to the podcast. Review the podcast on iTunes. Your support would be greatly appreciated. And stay tuned for a lot of great guests coming up in the next few weeks. I'll actually be traveling for the next couple of weeks, so I won't be able to release an episode. But uh, if you stay tuned and subscribe to the podcast, the next episode that comes in, you'll be able to see it. Thanks for your patience and take care.